All right. Meet Johnny Do Right. He's ticked all the boxes. He's ticked a lot of boxes. He's very polite. He's courteous. He's never said anything mean to his siblings. Oh, he said a few times. He said a few mean things, but he's always apologised. He's always said sorry. He's always gone to church. He hasn't missed a Sunday in ages. When he got older, he got his licence. He passed a test on his first go, unlike me. It took me three times. And he got all the questions right. He's a perfect driver. He always stops at stop signs and he slows down at orange lights, never speeds, never gets road rage. But one day, horrible accident happens. Johnny's wiped out by a semi-trailer and dies. Oh, heavy. Meet Leicester Licence. He's a bad kid. You've got to be a bad kid when you've got a name like Leicester, right? He never did what his parents told him. He always rubbished everyone. He beat up anyone who disagreed with him. But he went to church one day and he heard, you're saved by faith and grace alone, not works. And he thought, great, if I don't deserve to be saved, I'll continue to live life like I've been doing and I'll get saved anyway. So he keeps going through life. He doesn't obey any of the rules. Craziest thing happens. He runs a set of red lights hits this dweeb in a Toyota Yaris and flies through his front windshield because he wasn't wearing a seatbelt. So they're both dead. Both of these guys are dead. Which of them ends up in heaven? Don't answer. Keep, the, keep it in your head because we'll jump to our passage and see what Paul has to say in the Word. The first thing we're going to see is that legalism won't get you to heaven. And we're going to jump a bit earlier in chapter 5 to see this, and we'll get to the passage that we've read, but I want you to see it first in the passage. Legalism, what the heck is that? Well, it's a great word to describe exactly what we've been talking about this whole way through Galatians. So we're going to learn it. Legalism is law-keeping as a way to get right with God. It's caring about the letter of the law, the particulars and holding people up when they get stuff wrong. It's a belief that we can obey the law in order to get to heaven. This is what we've been looking at all week. These Judaizers are legalists. The Pharisees were legalists. They were convinced that they had to earn their way to God and they were trying to convince the Galatians of that same thing. In particular, they wanted the Galatians to obey the rule to get circumcised which sort of represents the whole, whole law. So look at how Paul reacts in chapter 5, verse 2. In 5, verse 2, Paul says, Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to, just, to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Fallen away from what? Fallen away from grace. The whole works mentality is that you have to earn or deserve what you get. While Paul is clear, he says, you can't earn your way to, be, to get right with God. And we don't deserve to be made right with God. That's why it's called grace. 
I don't think this needs much um, explanation. We've been looking at it all week. For the Galatians, this was their particular problem. This is what they kept going back to. So this is what Paul keeps going back to in his letter in Galatians. He will go back to it again and again. That's why we look at chapter 5, like at the end part of Galatians, and he's here again re-hammering it because this is the Galatians' problem. But what do you think our problem is today? Well, Paul mentions it in chapter 5, but it's a minor mention because he's been majoring on the law, right? But I think if Paul was writing to us today, this would be, I'm guessing, a major mention that he would make because our problem today is license. Licence is the idea that we're free from the law. Surely doesn't that mean if we're free from the law that I'm free to do anything that I like? So we use the word licence just like we use the word permission, right? If you get a car licence, you have the government's permission to drive, all right? So some people will say, freedom from the law? Doesn't that give me permission or licence to do whatever I like? So you'll see in chapter 5, verse 13, Paul's warning against people who just want licence. Have a look at um, verse 13 with me. You, brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The sinful nature, or um, it will be acts of the flesh. What Paul means, I don't think when he says acts of the flesh, I don't think he's meaning physical flesh. I think he means the sinful cravings and desires that we have, which it may involve the flesh. And I think this is especially what our generation wants. We want to indulge the flesh. We want to indulge whatever we want. Our generation will say to you, the best life, the best life is it's sleeping with your girlfriend and boyfriend, getting drunk at parties, trying all the drugs. It's all recreation. It's just fun and games. Don't get married. The best life is one without attachments that drag you down. Anything that infringes on your freedom, get rid of it. It's a ball and chain. And the best way of getting all this, the key to it all, it's easy. Just think about yourself. It's called selfishness. And our generation will say, people will tell you that selfishness is bad, but they've got no clue, right? Now, maybe not all of that has been said to you, but I bet some of it has been said to everyone. Paul is adamant. Do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. What's this freedom that Paul is talking about? Well, we know it's freedom from the law, but it's also freedom from the futile attempts to earn our way back to God And it's also freedom from serving the things that are not even God's. And you can see that back in chapter 4, verse 8, if you want to go back. But I've got a lot to say about what I think about drugs, sex, alcohol and partying. So I'll give you the short version, right? I think that's the the life pursuing drugs, sex, alcohol, parties. I think it's empty. 
It's destructive. It's meaningless. These things don't increase the quality of life. They decrease it. The very nature of drugs is that they're addictive. They make you dependent on them. Whatever high they might give you just becomes your new baseline that you sink below when you're not on them, driving you into dependence. Getting drunk just turns off your senses. And the more you go down that path, the more you'll realise that people will only hang out with you if they're drunk and you're drunk because they can't tolerate meaningful interaction with anyone. Sleeping around only cheapens sex and you'll sell yourself short of the security of an exclusive relationship with your one-day husband or wife. The more you sleep around, the more you're just using relationships for your own sexual satisfaction, not realising that the best sexual satisfaction comes from deep, meaningful, purposeful commitment to one person. Drugs, sex, parties, it's all just another form of slavery. It's bait. Because a life with this sort of freedom might look free, it might look good on the surface, but the hook that's in the bait is that it's completely empty. And a life with you at the centre will be a lonely existence. Paul has a list of people who look like who live like this. So check it out in verse 19. Verse 19, Paul says, "The acts of the sinful nature are obvious: sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness and orgies." And the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yes, this is the passage that Israel Folau quoted on Twitter. Yes, it is biblical. Paul is clear. He says, people who live like this, people who continually live out this kind of lifestyle, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. We know the realities of heaven and hell. It doesn't matter what you think about Israel Folau. He's raised an opportunity to speak about heaven and hell. And we should be taking that opportunity. Don't, blow, um, don't bow out of the flood of conversations. Represent. Hell is terrible. Hell is eternable. eternal. Eternal. <laughs> Hell is avoidable. Speak and act in such a way that the gospel is clear in your life and that the hand of Jesus is held out to the people who need Jesus. You might be trapped in some of these things that have enslaved you. You might be torn apart by grief over it. You might be crying out for help. You have an almighty God who is powerful to rescue you. How on earth can it be done? Turn away from the acts of the flesh, come to Jesus and place your faith in him, in his death on the cross, to bear the penalty of your sin on your behalf. That's what we looked at on day two. 
You can't earn your way back to God. Only by faith in Jesus can you come back to right relationship with God. And not a reluctant God whose hand is forced to accept you. No, it's a God who loves you with the affections that he has for his own sons and daughters. That was yesterday, right? So these two things that we've looked at so far are legalism and license. Neither of them will get you to heaven. And there's an alternative to legalism and license. And it's far better, by far. And it's the spirit-led life. So pick up with me in verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. So this is the alternative. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. This is big, right? The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbour as yourself. I think the only way this is possible is because we're perfectly loved by our Father who frees us to love and serve each other. Because you get all you need from your Father. You get grace, the underserved gift of forgiveness. We get peace, the right relationship that we can enjoy with God. Not earned by works, but by faith in Jesus, so you can freely call out Abba Father. Hasn't this been our week so far? We have so many perks being the children of God that surely we can love and serve each other. We're brothers and sisters. And what does this look like to love and serve each other? Well, Paul's got another list. He gave the list of the acts of the flesh before, and now we see a list of the fruit of the Spirit in verse 22. Have a look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is freedom, according to Paul, because there is no law against these things. This is the type of lifestyle we're called to. This isn't a bunch of new rules that you've got to follow. You've got to be like this just because we've got rid of the old ones. No, this, this is a, a new way of seeing how we should live in light of our identity as children of God. Kids look like their parents, right? Often you'll see the, the same nose running through a family. So if you look at my dad, he's got the exact same nose as me. Um, I'm already getting grey hair. My dad's got grey hair. Um, we, we pick up the same mannerisms of our parents. We get the same eyes or the same smile or something. And when people connect the dots that you're the son or daughter of so-and-so, they go, oh, yeah, I see the family likeness. They'll know that you're the son of, like, Toby is the son of Andrew Mitchell, right? It's just so obvious. You're like, of course. (laughs) Well, the fruit of the Spirit is a list of what it looks like to be in the family of God. 
Doesn't God show us all the fruit of the Spirit in his own character? Love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Isn't God faithful, gentle and self-controlled? Because God has all these characteristics, we're adopted into his family. We begin to take on the family likeness. Keeping in step with the Spirit is like keeping in step with family likeness. This is how the Spirit walks, so this is how you should walk too. Being adopted sons and daughters of God, like we saw yesterday, changes who we are. We become children of God and we're drawn to develop, uh, sorry, to develop characters that reflect the character of God. So these two lists, we have the acts of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. The person who looks at the acts of the flesh and thinks, yeah, that looks good, that looks right, they have just clearly missed that they're adopted children of God. It's a sign that they're spiritually dead if they see it and they're drawn to it and they think it looks appetizing and fun and good. It says more about who their actual father is and it's not God. And it's a sign of being saved if you look at the list of the acts of the flesh and you're, you're repulsed by them. They look ugly, fits of envy, rage, dissension. And when you're not a Christian, you're kind of unaware of how ugly it looks. And when the light turns on, all of a sudden, you can see it for what it is. It's like, I don't know what scenario this would actually happen to you, but imagine you fell into a sewer tank full of human poo and you hit your head on your way down and you're lying in the bottom of it unconscious. How would anyone on the outside of the tank know that you've regained consciousness? You'd be screaming out, get me out of here, this stinks. To the truly saved Christian, the list, the acts of the flesh, is something that you want to run away from. You'll be screaming for help if you're stuck in it. And I hope that would be you. If you're confident in your adoption as sons and daughters of God, you'll be confident that when you fail keeping in step with the Spirit, you'll be confident that that won't ruin your salvation. You won't suddenly become no longer sons and daughters of God because we're not behaving as though we're keeping the law in order to be saved. The law is in a new light. But just like our relationships with one another, if we hurt each other, we want to apologise. Same with God. We ask for forgiveness, not because it makes us right with God, like we're working for our salvation again, We know that Jesus has done that once and for all. But if you don't say sorry to your mum and dad when you've hurt them, or vice versa, 
you don't cease to be their son or daughter, but I would say that it changes the intimacy of the relationship. It's the same with God. Sometimes we have this sin in our lives and we know that it's wrong, but we can't face God with it for some reason. We become prayerfully quiet towards him. We're afraid of what he thinks of us. We're scared because we feel like we're hiding something from him. It's like we grow some sort of distance between our relationship with God. I know I've experienced that before, and I'd say all of you have as well. But if you're stuck there, you've forgotten that you have a loving Father who cares for you. Not a distant, inaccessible God, but a loving Father. Remind yourself of your identity as children of God. It won't mean just thinking that you never have to apologise or repent of sin. Repent. It will restore an intimate relationship with God as Father. So what should we do when we're stuck in sin? Well, there's some helpful things in this passage. We should remember that our flesh has been crucified. Have a look at verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. What have we done to the flesh with its passions and desires? We have crucified it. No, this is not what the men did to Jesus when they nailed him to the cross. This is about what you do as followers of Jesus. And it's past tense. You've crucified the flesh. This is what happened when you decided to follow Jesus. In Luke 9.23, Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Jesus is saying that whoever wants to follow him must deny themselves and be even willing to put their life on the line to follow him. And Paul picks up on this and he says, if you're taking up your cross, you're taking up your cross daily to crucify your flesh. Crucifixion was a gradual death. It wasn't that you just nailed a criminal up to a cross and they died straight away. No, they were stuck there for days, a long, drawn-out process of the criminal dying. And Romans, they would often post a soldier there, right, to make sure that the criminal's buddies didn't come and take him down. It's the same with your sin. When you're converted, it was a decisive moment in your life when you decided to place your faith in Jesus and you nailed your old self to the cross. Returning to sin, returning to the acts of the flesh, is like returning to the scene where you crucified your sin, where you crucified your old self and you stroke its feet and you put some ointment on its wounds. And you try to pull out the nails that you've crucified it there with. And Paul would say, leave it there. It's crucified. Our fight against sin is daily. 
And so our attitude towards sin should be like posting a soldier there to make sure that we don't return to the scene of the criminal crucified. When you realise that your Christian life will be a conflict between your sin and keeping in step with the Spirit, you need to realise to keep in step with the Spirit, which means you'll need to repent and turn away from your sin. So Paul says in verse 16, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The Christian life is a life of conflict. Even though we're saved by faith, even though we become children of God, even though we can look at the acts of the flesh and see them as repulsive and ugly, we still have this weird Christian life experience. Like Jordan was saying, there's a now not yet to our experience in life. There's a now we're saved. We become children of God. But there's a not yet in it as well. We still struggle with sin in our lives. Sin still enters in. So that in verse 16 we can see that our desire to live in step with the Spirit is in conflict with doing what we want. Paul isn't just saying that it's a good idea to keep in step with the Spirit. It's a command. And it's helpful because we can see in our own lives, that life isn't one that we just happily walk through, never sinning again, but it's a life of constant conflict with what you want and what the Spirit wants. The Christian life is one where you do battle against the flesh and do not do anything that you want. This is good to hear because for many of us, life is a struggle. Life is a struggle with sin in our lives. It's a bit of a bummer we didn't get to look at this heaps in, um, in this week. So we'll just have a quick flick over to chapter 6 for a second because there's an awesome part that we can play as children of God, loving and serving brothers and sisters as we live life in conflict against sin. So have a look at chapter 6, verse 1. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Oh, sorry, I keep reading. Carry uh, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Surely this makes us realize that even after we're saved, even after we call ourselves Christians, we can still get caught in sin. And we think we've... Oh, sorry. I guess this is um, what I was trying to get at here is that we're still caught in sin, even though we're Christians. And sometimes it can get you down. You can think, well, I've lost, I've lost being saved. I've lost being able to call myself a child of God because I obviously still have this sin in my life. But this is saying that as Christians, we can still fall into sin 
We just need to restore each other, point each other back to Christ crucified. There's hope that we can be restored. Remember, fix your eyes on Christ crucified. Some of us will get stuck in pornography and lust. Others will get stuck in only being able to say a bad word about each other. Some of us will get stuck in lying. Some of us will get stuck in obsessing over body image. What does Paul say? Restore that person gently. Carry each other's burdens. There is a law, but it's a better law. It's the law of Christ. And it's a beautiful law of helping each other as we live rightly in our identity as children of God. What will restoring someone gently look like? For the brother caught in pornography, it won't look like judgment. It will look like prayerfulness and accountability, helping each other overcome temptations and pointing to the grace that we have in Christ who died for our sins. It won't look like just breezing over it and saying, that's okay, plenty of grace to go around. No, that's license. There should be grief and anguish over the pain that our sin causes our Father and thankfulness for the blood of Christ that washes away the stain of our sin. Remember Christ crucified. The more you actually go through that process, the more ugly addiction to porn will become, the more you'll delight in your freedom from it. And I got this one, I'm not a woman, so like, what do women struggle with? So I talked to my wife. For the sister pursuing men who is convinced that her value comes from the attention that she receives from them, restore her gently and remind her that her value comes from the loving approval of her father in heaven who doesn't require anything from her, just that she is found in Jesus and that she has God's full approval. Remember, Christ crucified. The more you go through this pattern, the more you will find amazing freedom in the constant battle to win the attention of men and see it as worthless as a means to find value. See, God doesn't just save us from the penalty of our sin. He saves us from the power of our sin. This is what it means to grow as deeper, more mature Christians as we walk with the Spirit. So keep in step with the Spirit. Keeping in step with the Spirit is actually freedom. It's freedom from the law. It's freedom from our sin. And it's freedom to live in the beautiful light as God, as our Father. So how does Paul begin chapter 5? He starts in chapter 5, verse 1, by saying, It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Do not let yourselves be burdened by the yoke of law-keeping. And do not let yourselves be burdened by the yoke that is slavery to sin. Why? Because it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. What kind of freedom? The best kind of freedom. 
the freedom of the Spirit-led life. This has been an amazing week of working through Galatians with each other. I hope it sticks with you. I hope there's, I hope that we've seen that there's only one gospel that saves. Don't turn to anything else. We've seen that the only way to be saved is through faith in Christ crucified, not works of the law. We've seen the amazing privileges and perks of being children of God. And we've seen that faith alone saves us from legalism and license and that the spirit-led life is the best kind of life. I'm praying for you all that the truths of Galatians would sink deep into your life. I hope you've really enjoyed your time at FAT. I hope the best parts of FAT have been sitting in a night talk and sitting in a morning talk. I hope that has been the highlight of your week. Why don't I pray for us right now as we close? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much um, for this, this great opportunity to come out here and sink our teeth into your words. We thank you for Paul's letter to the Galatians, for all the riches that it has there of seeing the best life, the spirit-led life, freedom from sin and slavery. I pray that we wouldn't forget this quickly or easily. I pray that we'd be able to look back. I pray that we'd be in in the Bible regularly through the week, that we can look into your word and have it enrich our lives. I pray that we would be Bible people who measure everything against the Bible, who measure the gospel that we hear against the Bible, that would stick to the Bible, that would see that we can't earn our way back to you, that we, we only can place faith in what you've done through Christ crucified and that that will save us. We give you thanks that we're not just saved from our sin, but that you've called us sons and daughters and that we can live in light of this identity and keep in step with your spirit. Father, we give you great thanks for the character that you have of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness and self-control. I pray that we would take on that family likeness and become more like you in the way that we live, that these would be characteristics of your people. And I pray all this in your son's name. Amen.